The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning. I hope you're doing well today. We are in a series called Off the Rails where we're tackling the seven churches of Revelation. So chapter three is where we're going to land talking about the church of Philadelphia. Before we get to that, though, I want to give a shout out to the army of people that helped make back to school bash happen. So would you give them a hand? I know it took a ton uh, to make that happen. It's, it's, so cool to, it's so cool to see something like that come together. And it takes a lot of pre-work. It takes a lot of work week of and, of course, during the event. And also, I just want to say thank you to uh, both our Grove Kids team, Adrian, Brittany, Caitlin in particular, who really spearheaded the vision for it. But then also Teresa, who works with uh, you know, our outreach coordinator, uh, works with our partnerships. We had, I think, 30 different partnerships connected to the church, which I think is significant. And so um, I just love that we can do that. You might have noticed that our goal was 2,000 backpacks, which we did have, and we were able to give out over 1,500. And so there was a bunch left over in our partnership with an organization called Link Northwest. Ryan Brown has been heading that up. Um, we, we gave them to them because they're going to have another opportunity to give the more kids that need them. And there's just something beautiful to me about knowing kids can head to school with the supplies, with a new backpack, even with a fresh haircut, uh, and feel good about the experience walking into school. Because there's some, you know, in our community, and maybe even for some of us here that remember back in the school days where maybe you didn't have what you needed, it can feel a little embarrassing. So I love that we get to equip kids um, to have a great school year. So uh, anyway. Anyways, um, let, let me jump in here. And again, off the rails is Jesus, uh, you know, warning to each of these churches uh, about some things that were going on they need to be aware of so that they didn't end up tipping off, crashing, causing a big mess. And I talked last week about the church at Thyatira. We talk, took a couple of weeks and discussed that. Today, we're taking on the church at Philadelphia. And for the for clarity, we're not talking Pennsylvania, just, to, just so you know. Um, that's a bad joke. That's like a dad joke. So anyway, but every one of these churches uh, was in what is modern day, the nation of Turkey. And Philadelphia, is one of the churches that there wasn't like a major rebuke, like, hey, there's some things that you need to repent of. It's a little different for this church, and we'll talk about it here in a moment. But I'm going to read the text, we'll pray, and then we'll walk through this kind of verse by verse. It says in chapter 2, verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, who is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
Jesus, I pray over today. I pray over the content and also, Lord, just how this applies to us. I pray for open hearts. I pray whether we're here a little while, long time, first time, I just pray for you to work that we all would find ourselves in that place of surrender because you care deeply, not only for a church from a long time back, God, but some of the challenges for us today that we would be infused with your strength to endure like we need to. It's in your name we pray. Amen. bit of a head cold I'm getting over, so bear with me here. I've got my uh, tea, and I'm going to be just fine. But anyways, just, just so you know. Uh, it starts out, like they all do, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. And the angel, not necessarily an angelic being, maybe the pastor church leader in this church in particular. And then, just like to every church, it says, to the words of him who is holy and true. Every single opening to every single church describes a facet of who Jesus is. And so for this church in particular, it says to him who is holy and true. Now, let me jump in real quick and say this. We believe wholeheartedly that the idea of Jesus being holy and true is a big deal. It's not only a big deal because of who he was as an individual that, that taught the crowds that performed miracles in the gospels and then went to the cross to pay the price for the sins of the entire world. In fact, that's where you and I find life is in what Jesus has already done for us, not by our works, not by our activity, not by outweighing our good with the bad we've already done, that we find life in Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so that's part of understanding it. But the other thing to understand when you talk about the idea of Jesus being holy and true is to understand that he lived a perfect sinless life and challenges us towards the attributes that were him as he walked this earth. So one of the things to ask ourselves as we step back in the text is this, is my life being identified? Are the monikers of who I'm becoming have anything to do with holiness and walking out and living truth? And if not, we ought to say, God, open my heart. I repent of those things that aren't becoming more holy. And what happens in our world and what happens in the Western world and what happens sometimes in Christianity is we become, you know, Christians kind of by title only, not necessarily by how we live. And yet we're challenged to become more like Jesus. Holiness ought to be part of who we are. It doesn't mean we walk in slow motion and, and, and we don't really have a personality and, and something like that. But it's this idea that those things that have been vices in our lives, those things that have tripped us up ought to be things that we repent of and walk away from. And when we're tempted towards again and again, because we will be, amen? amen. Even though we will be, we continue to fight that battle through the spirit because we are in Christ. And so when we talk about holiness and we talk about truth being who Jesus is, it ought to be something you and I need to lean towards more and more as followers of Jesus. Just like I mentioned last week, we are welcoming and transforming. Everyone's welcome, but we're on the journey of transformation in Christ, period. So holy and true. And then it says this, who holds the key of David? Now, let me take you to, on a little theological journey. And that's part of why we want to talk about these churches. When it talks about the key of David, part of what we understand that matters is cross-referencing Revelation chapter three, the church at Philadelphia, to what is said about who Jesus would be, who the Messiah would be. And Jesus came in the lineage of David. When you read the Christmas story and it talks about Mary and Joseph, both of them belong to the lineage of King David. Why does that matter? Because one of the promises that was given to King David is because he was a man after God's own heart, he would always have someone who would reign on the throne. But it wasn't just physical kings. 
It wasn't just that David's son, Solomon, and Solomon's son, and, and, and you know, goes all the way down the line, would always be on the throne because Jesus, or the, the, the Lord had told the nation of Israel, as long as your heart is after me, there will always be one to sit on the throne. But when you read Kings, Chronicle and Samuel, what you find is wicked kings rose to power. They caused all kinds of trouble within the nation of Israel. The nation split from Israel to Israel and Judah, and then they became no more. And the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, took them over. And, and technically, for a period of time, there wasn't necessarily a king in charge because they were subject to other empires. So this was a prophetic idea that there would always be, you know, a king on the throne, but prophetically Isaiah, and if you're taking notes, which I really encourage you to do, because I cross-reference a lot of different scripture, in Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, that's what we're reminded of. There will always be one to sit on the throne. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, it says that there will come one that will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Again, prophetically about the Messiah that we understand as Jesus. In fact, in the Christmas story, when Mary is visited by an angel in the gospel of Luke, chapter one, verse 30, it says this, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive, you will give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. Now listen to this. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And then Jesus comes along. And when you, again, you read the gospels, but in the, in the gospel of John chapter 10, verse nine, Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. The key of David. In fact, when Thomas wondered about who Jesus is, said, you know who I am. Well, you know where we go. I don't know. And Jesus said in John 14, six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And so again, over and over, it's important to understand what said in Revelation three was prophesied over and over and over in all kinds of texts. And it's the reminder that we're talking again about Jesus. And then it says this, uh, what, what I open, no one can shut, and what I shut, no one can open. What, what, what I want to say about this text, and it's a big deal, is this. First, those of you that live on 24-hour news cycles, and what you see is a world that seems to be spinning out of control, and what seems to be insanity and all kinds of opinions, and it's hard to get down to what's real and truth and all that stuff, and, and some people really spin over that. Can I remind you we have a God who is still sovereign? Can I remind you that you can worry and you can fret and you can live in anxiety and you can be given all kinds of things that will cause ulcers and disease and panic and you can't sleep and it's a whirlwind of trouble. And yet God says, I am still sovereign to the church at Philadelphia that dealt with the issue of earthquakes. And some theologians would say the community as the gateway to the East in Philadelphia was a church in poverty and persecuted. And yet they were challenged to endure. And we'll get to that in a minute. It, but the encouragement to them is this, I'm opening doors and I'm shutting doors and I'm in control. Be confident of that very fact. In fact, little side note here, but what some of you need to do is just shut off your news cycle. It just shut off the TV. And as a pastor, I would say it this way, shut off the news, open your Bible. Let me say it again. Shut off the news, open your Bible. Let me say it one more time. Shut off the news, open your Bible. 
Give me it, we get. So I'm just joking. Okay. Um, okay. But honestly, there's something about this, this thing where things are spinning out of control. Times where you get news from people in your circle and you worry. You, you, you feel the doctor makes the phone call and all of a sudden there's a diagnosis and you don't know what to, and you're freaking out. Remember, you have a God on the throne. And I'm gonna remind you this throughout today's message related to the church at Philadelphia. He opens doors no one can shut and he shuts doors no one can open. I remember um, years ago when my girlfriend Heather broke up with me a bunch of times. <clears throat> she wasn't sure if I was the one and I was wrecked and I couldn't eat and I couldn't sleep and I was kind of freaking out about stuff. And I remember my youth pastor who had an office right over here back in the olden days. I went to his office one day lamenting my woes over how heartbroken I was and can't she see how amazing I am and whatever else. And <clears throat> anyways, but, but I remember he said this to me one day, and this was an epiphany for me. It shouldn't have been, but it was. Do you understand, and you need to hear this. Do you understand God wants your will for his, uh, his will for your life more than you do? And this is what he said. If you would just surrender to him, you can walk in assurance you're gonna get his will. And for me, well, sure, we still went through a lot and then she fell head over heels and can't get enough of me. We've been married 24 years and four kids later, a daughter who's engaged and getting married next summer, all this stuff. And where did time go? And my 30th you know, reunion a couple days ago and I feel old and I wake up and I feel like I got beat up and all I did was sleep. And anyway, um, <laughs> but honestly, there's something about being reminded of who Jesus is of who God is in our lives. And I bring that up because what it says at the very beginning of verse eight is I know your deeds. I know you, I know what's going on in your life. Though I might feel far away, I am not far away. I am with you. I am the friend who sticks closer than a brother. I know you. It's comforting news that things did not pass by the Lord unaware for the church in Philadelphia. A smaller church in the gateway to the east where they were felt insignificant, they were probably in poverty and they experienced persecution. I know you, I'm with you, I am sovereign. It's why I think it's so important to remember as you and I read scripture, there are so many names for the Lord that, that for some of you, you need to be reminded he is a provider. Some of you need to be reminded he is a healer. Some of you need to be reminded he is a deliverer, a redeemer, a restorer, an encourager, a strength giver, a peace opportunist, that he wants you to have all of these things at your disposal because that's who he is. You're welcome. God is that good. It brings me to an old hymn that we've sung in this room. I probably can't count how many times. What a friend we have in Jesus. And I'm not gonna sing it to you because we didn't put barf bags in the seat in front of you. But what I want to do is I want to read the lyrics to you. And some of you might not even have heard this hymn, but many of you probably have. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? 
Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. I love how in, in each stanza of that hymn, it tackles a different facet of what you and I face. Being overwhelmed by burdens, feeling betrayed in friendship sometimes, trials and temptations. And I want you to know this, and I don't say it to, to make myself look better than I am, but I will say when I pray for you all the time, and here's what I pray often, as you navigate this world throughout Snohomish County or King County, wherever you go to work or places you live or whatever, that when you celebrate, that you celebrate giving glory to God. That when you go through tough times, that it causes you to lean in prayerfully to whatever you might be facing. I pray that all the time for this church. Because what I don't want is for you, like the song talks about, to live in worry and dread. And you don't have to live there because you have a Savior who's a redeemer, a restorer, an encourager. I already said it. That for you, don't let that rob your day because you get news that's tough. We get tough news. We go through hard things. The burden I'm bearing right now that I'm like, Lord, I wish I was a billionaire is this. We have church families that have family in Lahaina that lost their homes. And they've been to visit and trying to figure out what to do. And it's devastated. And I'm going, Lord, what do we, I don't even know what to do. And yes, we sent some resources and we're partnering with a couple of churches trying to do our best. But it's like, I can't go out there to buy and build a whole home for you. And most of us probably can't. And if you can, let me know. Let's go. But honestly, like we're not all billionaires. We're millionaires. And then guess what happened? This week, I got a text right before heading to my 30-year reunion on Friday. Hey, pray for my brother. There's a fire right by his house over in Medical Lake. And, and, and things could get bad. And the, fr the, the, the friend that texted me that, I'm friends with his brother too. And I got this picture of flames and a tree and I'm like, dear God. And I go to my reunion and I hang out there and do the whole thing. And it gets over and I check my phone real quick afterwards. And the fire took out his entire home. I had just been there, I don't know, six, eight months ago to visit, to say hi, to hang out, to see his beautiful house. He's, he's a camp director at Silver Lake Camp. Half the camp had burned. I mean, the, I'm like, Lord, here's Lahaina. And I, I feel the burden of like families that are like, what do we do? And now you have this and then our own in-laws. They live in Elk. Guess what? And you probably already saw it. There's a fire in Elk, Washington, not too far from Medical Lake. And they're praying, God, don't let it come near our house. It's like, God, I don't have a billion dollars. I'm not saying, hey, everybody, let's gather up and go build a bunch of homes because they're all burning down. But what I can do is go, God, I don't know the answer. But Jesus, there's a lot needed here. And I feel the burden. Of, and I wake up in the middle of the night, the last bunch of nights going, Lord, I don't even know what to do, but do something here. Take it to the Lord in prayer. What would it look like for you to be guilty of praying before you allowed your whole day to be ruined by anxiety and fear and dread? What would it look like? I know you. And then it says, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Again, studying this out, there's no specifics about what that door was except probably an opportunity to share the gospel in Philadelphia. That, that a whole group of people within the city that would need the message of Jesus. A, a door that, that he would open. And just a quick reminder, a little snippet of the message, but the idea that, that God opened a door, 
that God was giving an opportunity for them to share the gospel. And the question for you and I, as we live out our days, do you and I look for opportunities to share our faith? Do you and I take advantage of doors that open? <laughs> I'm not saying that we always have to make display about our faith or, or, or push doors down or, or, or beat, you know, beat down opportunities to make awkward situations. But, but let me just tell you, and it's not because I'm perfect, but, but yesterday being over at Saddle Premium Outlets, shopping with my daughter who's heading off to college, needs a couple things, we're over there and it's crammed with people and they're walking, parking all over the place. And by the food area, there's somebody from the church. And I go, hey man, good to see you. And we got to talking. I said, how are you doing? And he began to share with me a bunch of different things the family was going through. And as he shared, you could feel just the heaviness of grief and loss and, and pain. And I said, man, could, could we just pray with you real quick? And again, I didn't do it to make a display. I didn't do it to like, hey, look, everybody, we're going to pray now. I literally just put my hand on his shoulder. And here's my daughter standing here. And we just bowed our heads. And I, maybe for a minute or two, I just prayed over the, the, the three different things that he's going through and stuff that he's feeling and carrying. And I didn't pray loud and make a huge display. I didn't yell in Jesus' name or you know, throw my hands up in the air. I literally prayed a prayer because I knew it was an opportunity to express the love of Jesus in a moment that somebody needed it. And I said, amen. And he had to, had to head over to work because he works over there. And he said, listen, it's just God that, that you got to be here in this moment. And I said, man, I just, I just hope you can feel better. And if there's anything we can do, just reach out and let us know. Again, not a big deal, but like, you, you, you have to wait. hey, I'll pray for you. And that's fine. You can say, I'll pray for you. But my thought was, let's just pray right now. It doesn't matter because the hope is a little bit of Jesus is right there. A little bit of opportunity to shine a little bit of light, encourage somebody that needed in the moment. People could have walked by and thought it was weird or whatever else. I don't really care. It was an opportunity to be Jesus to somebody who was feeling the burdens of life. What does it look like for you and I to take advantage of random open doors? And whether they're family or friends, whether they live near us or we work with them, what does it look like? Jesus says, I open a door no one can shut. Are you looking for open doors when you get up and go about your day? Do you realize that God wants to give you opportunity to walk through certain doors, to shine light, to share your faith, to pray with somebody who's having a tough time. Opportunity to help people understand Jesus cares about them by how we live and what we say and what we do. And then it says this, I know that you have little strength. And this is the one thing about the church in Philadelphia. It's not, it's like a sin thing, like repent of this. It's more of an encouragement for, so the church at Philadelphia wasn't off the rails. It was more like a train that was maybe going uphill with a heavy load and it was slowing down and slowing down and slowing down. You feel weak. And I love, and this is what I began to think of when I was studying my notes for this. In, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 through 20, there's some verses where Jesus says this, a smoldering reed, he, uh, uh, excuse me, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And he's quoting Isaiah chapter 42. And, and, and I, I want to read a, an article from Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. He's a pastor and, and writer. He had a couple things to say about this that I think are worth hearing. It's such a beautiful description of the Lord Jesus, isn't it? I love it that Isaiah's poem begins with the words, behold my servant. In other words, look at him. I hope you can find time, he says, to do that today, to actually look at Jesus in these words and not just see the words, but focus on the one to whom the words point to and admire him and love him because, and back to my point earlier, because I'm afraid it's the lack of doing this that tends to weaken our Christian lives. He continues, but think about these two pictures of Jesus. There he is walking through the fields. 
He comes across a slender reed that's been damaged. I know my own instinct would be to do what I have done as a boy, pull it up, break it off completely and throw it away. Just finish the job. It's had its day. It's done, but not Jesus. Then think of the other picture, a dimly burning wick. Sometimes where we live in Scotland, storms come cause power outages and a cave. Sorry, that was, I just, <laughs> I was trying. Okay. Just, and occasionally we've had to resort to using candles, but eventually they would burn down. The light begins to flicker. There's smoke. What do I do? Well, I snuff it out. It's useless now. I discard it. But what if the bruised reeds and the dimly burning wicks are people, weak people, frail people, people life has damaged? Snuff them out? After all, they're just dimly burning wicks. Now to tell the truth, we're all bruised reeds and dimly burning wicks in the Lord's sight, but he doesn't throw us away or snuff us out. I've met Christians who live in fear that Jesus is going to do exactly that to them. And that's why, <clears throat> that's why this word behold is so important. Listen to this. Behold Jesus. Look. See what he's really like. He is gracious and kind. He doesn't break bruised reeds or snuff them out. Or, or excuse me, or snuff out dimly burning wicks. He mends them. He fans them into life. Again, I would go back to for a church that, that, that need to be reminded God is opening and closing doors. God is sovereign. God does know you. And he knows that maybe for you, you feel like you're in a time where you feel weak. And I realize that even in our world, we can look at all that's going on and it can feel like, but the church feels so weak. We feel so wounded. And yet I would remind us, but we have a savior and we have an empower and we need to be reminded of that. I realize that in my context, I look at our world and go, it's, it, it pains me and I get it. And it's not a complaint to see people, hey, we're, we're moving to Idaho, we're moving to Texas, we're moving to Arizona, we're moving to Tennessee or Montana, wherever else. And I get that. But sometimes what I feel is that so many light bearers have left here that it leaves the rest of us to go, now we bear more of a need to bear the light. But I don't want to live discouraged by that. I want to live encouraged that Jesus is enough that Jesus does strengthen us, that we can be encouraged even though we could go, man, it's easy to make excuses for why we would live weak. And yet the reminder of who Jesus is, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. It goes on in the text. It says, you, you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. It's a church that's persevering, although they feel all that they feel. And then it says this, I will make those of who are the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, um, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. And this again is a picture. In a moment, I'm gonna talk back to the weakness and what comes later in the, in the words to the church. But this is another picture where typically it, it, it was the Jews who would want the way or Christians to renounce or deny their faith in Jesus. And it was other cults and other religious groups or even the Roman Empire themselves in the first century that would want Christians to bow down and renounce their faith in Jesus and, and give homage to the emperor. And, and by the way, if you don't know this, it, it was Judaism back in the early days of Christianity when it was called the way, that it was more like the, the way or Christians were, were like a parasite clinging on to Judaism. And the Jews didn't like that. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And, and so they constantly were coming in and trying to move people away from this idea of Jesus being the Messiah. They didn't believe it. And so they would preach against it. 
And, and the idea would be bow down, renounce your faith in this idea of who Jesus is and surrender to this other picture of who we are and the law, the Torah and Moses and all these things. And the picture is the opposite. God in his sovereignty is gonna cause them to bow to you. And again, this could be in their day, but this could also be prophetically. If you remember in Philippians chapter two, there's a picture of the suffering servant, Jesus. Didn't you know, consider equality with God something to be grasped, put on the nature of a servant, gave himself, all this stuff. But then it says in chapter two, verse 10, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And this is a prophetic idea that was quoted in Philippians 2 from Isaiah 45, verse 23. And it says this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's this idea that at some point in, in, in future judgment, and we get this in Revelation chapter 20, if we understand that the nations gathered before the throne for judgment and every knee at some point will bow and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's mentioned again in Romans 14 verse 11. I will make them bow down. And then it says, since you have kept my command and endured patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the earth's inhabitants. And again, that's, that's an encouragement to the church. Here's some theology that you might need to understand, and maybe you've heard this before. We believe wholeheartedly when you read Acts chapter 1 and Jesus ascends into heaven, and there's angels that appear and go, hey, you know, do what he told you to do, but Jesus is going to come back. Don't worry, he'll be coming back. And you hear sometimes people talk about the second coming of Jesus. And we do believe that's part of our theology. Jesus will return for the church someday. Paul in Thessalonians talks in more detail about it. We call it kind of the second coming of Christ and the rapture. The idea that the church someday will be caught up together and not just that you breathe your last and enter eternity, but the idea that some of us at some point possibly will be alive and Jesus will return to the earth and there will be this idea of being caught up with the Lord at his second coming and the rapture. But there's a point in our theology where we understand there's going to be what's called a great tribulation. And Revelation talks about some of this. And in the great tribulation, it, it, it's kind of this, this, well, are we going to go through it or not? Or in the middle, or we'll be raptured during it. And so here's some of the words. Is there going to be a rapture before the tribulation? So here you go, pre-tribulation rapture, big words. Post-tribulation rapture or mid-tribulation rapture. Will the church be carried away and not have to endure this hour of trial and some would say this verse points to the church will be rescued from this deep hour of trial, severe suffering the world will have to endure. Or would it come mid, somewhere in the middle, or will it come at the end? And I would say, while we can't probably definitively answer that, the best answer I can give you is this. Pray for pre, prepare for post. <laughs> and, whenever, and whenever it happens, it happens. I know it feels, like, it feels a bit like a cop-out, but honestly, there, there's a lot of different ways you can go. It looks like the church will have to endure a certain hour of trial. Nevertheless, it goes on to say this, and we're going to get to the victory part here. It says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Let me walk through this as best as I can the next couple of minutes. First of all, when it says I am coming soon, you can go, well, wait a minute. 
If John wrote this and it was a revelation from Jesus way back on the island of Patmos, it was somewhere in the window of AD 70, maybe AD 75. Isn't that like 2000 years ago? And yet it says soon, didn't we either miss it or we're wrong and we just misunderstand it? But the idea of coming soon didn't necessarily mean within that lifetime or that span of their lives, even though they would believe that. And every generation for 2000 years of Christian history has leaned into Jesus is coming soon. But the picture I would encourage you with is this. It is imminent, meaning could happen at any time. The reason I bring that up to you is because that should all the more create in us an urgency to help people that we love deeply understand the power of the saving grace of Jesus. That if Jesus is indeed coming back, we need to help others understand why it matters so much because at some point judgment is coming on this world. Scripture teaches us that. We want everyone to understand Jesus because it's in him that we find forgiveness and life. So there's an imminence. I'm coming soon. Keep in mind, when Peter wrote about this picture, he said this, don't don't forget that to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And don't think the Lord is slow in keeping his promise. And again, here's the heart of why Peter said it. What he wants desperately is every single person to repent. Every single person to acknowledge who he is. So there's a patience in this eternal perspective from the Lord that you and I can help others understand God's love in Christ and share it with others because that's what we're called to do. Jesus commissioned us saying, go make disciples. And that was then and that's today. Okay, so he says, I'm coming soon. And then he talks about this idea of a new Jerusalem and a name. And he says, you will be pillars. And here's what you need to know. Remember when he said, Philadelphia, you're weak, but you will be pillars. What is a pillar? A pillar in a a structure that's built typically holds a, a portion of the weight of the roof so it doesn't collapse. A pillar is meant to hold more than, than other parts of a structure that, that only are maybe for looks. It's more load bearing. And so it's this juxtaposition from you feel weak now, but don't worry, you'll be a pillar someday. Don't be discouraged by how you feel in your weakness. And so he says, you will be a pillar and you'll be given the name of my God and the name of my God's city, the new Jerusalem and my name even personally, and I would take you briefly to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. If you're taking notes, write it down. The last two chapters of the whole Bible, I'm gonna give you the end of chapter 21 and the beginning of chapter 22. This is a picture of the new Jerusalem that you read about. I just took a portion of this, but there's more when you read those chapters. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need the sun, or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light, and the kings of the earth will bring to it their splendor. On no day will the gates ever be shut, for there will be no night that exists there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those, here's that word names, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, those who have acknowledged Jesus as their Savior. Then, this is chapter 22, verse one. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing 
of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There's that again. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever and ever. And I bring that up to you at the very end because for the church at Philadelphia, small, probably poverty stricken, opportunity to shine light, feeling weak but full of hope as Jesus would remind them, saying this in the end, don't worry, we win. In the end of all that goes on in life, don't worry, I'm in control. And you are going to be with me and it's going to be glorious. And that's the hope that you and I ought to hold on to all the time. That's the thing we need to remember that when James says we're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes, it's like this. I mean, going to my 30-year reunion now, it's like, man, I feel old. And hopefully I still got a few decades left, right? But even that, it feels like my life is this long compared to eternity. And you and I are challenged to live on this planet in light of eternity. We might feel weak, but we have hope. We might feel like, like, like this world is out of control, but God is still sovereign. And we hold on to our faith in a world that will fight against it. And my prayer for you is fresh strength to walk out living in Christ to the world around us as long as we have on this earth. Jesus, I pray today for your Holy Spirit to do a work in every one of us. Hey God, there is a lot. There is so much, Lord, to even what I've said today, we could turn it into its own little series. But I pray for your spirit to, to fill and encourage every person in this room. And whether it's the pull like in the song, what a friend, the pull of temptation or the betrayal of friendships or, or, or even family relationships. God, whether it's, it's, it's futility and just feeling the anxiety of our world or it's news that we have that things aren't so good with somebody we love or even with our own health. First of all, I do believe we would lean into who you are as a redeemer and healer and strength giver. But I also pray in the midst of whatever it is we're going through, that we find ourselves leaning into the one who offers what we need to behold who you are. I pray for fresh strength in this room. I pray for fresh vision in this place. I pray for those even online, God, that are tuning in, processing this, wherever they might be camping or in a living room or whatever, God, fill and encourage them too. I pray, God, that your spirit would do a deeper work in our lives. And even as we begin to know new things, maybe today even, we walk through scripture, that you would be what we anchor ourselves to. God, fill us with hope, strength, joy. Be all that we need as we lean into you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.